Welcome back to the Morning Cover Podcast with me, Alan. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Phil Breen, the National Manager for the DVSA's Earn Recognition Scheme. In this episode, Phil and I dive into the Earn Recognition Scheme in a lot more detail, its journey so far and where it's heading, and how it compares to Fours and Mission Zero. Speaking of which, are you an external transport manager looking for some support and guidance in which scheme is best, or looking to help prepping for an audit? Then you definitely need to check out the Transport Managers Collective, the number one digital community specifically aimed at transport managers wanting to prove safety and compliance of their fleets. So yeah, go ahead and check out the TMC, link will be below like right now or after the episode. Um, anyway, buckle up, this is an interesting one. Have you listened to any of the other episodes of the podcast yeah. so far? Uh, yeah. Okay. So you know how chaotic they start. <laughs> <laughs> they don't start anywhere nearly as professional as, as they should do. Um, so it will probably, Elizabeth will have cut at some point in the last 20 seconds and we're just going to be mid-talking, mid-conversation. So, um, yeah, I just want to say um, thank you, Phil, for joining me on the podcast today. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to finally get get this session booked in and kind of get 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 a recording sorted. No, absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, um, you are one of the few guests that I know I have to have um, questions um, or at least pointers to make sure we, we keep time. And I know you're a very busy man. I know it is a Friday afternoon, but it is still you, you have to have deadlines. Um, but also I know that there's certain things we want to be careful of saying. So we're just going to kind of run to a, to a, to a few questions. So um, we'll kick straight off. Um, and um, I know... I've seen on your LinkedIn, you you're on lots of webinars and lots of lots of um, podcasts at the moment. But for those of, the, of our listeners that don't listen to those other ones, um, do you want to give us a quick rundown of your background um, and kind of your professional career up to this point that got you to working within the DBSA? Yeah, sure, certainly. So um, I did a few odd jobs before I started at DBSA or Vosa as it was back then, but um, I still started at Vosa quite a few years ago. So I've been with DVSA for about 17 and a half years now. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, so um, I started off actually just in our testing division. Um, it was always going to be a six-month stopgap um, before I went to go train and be a plumber. But here I am um, 17 and a half years later. So, um, yeah, I do, you know, it was just right time, right uh, place really for me. Um, my mum, actually, her background was always in school transport. So uh, transport was always kind of on my radar. Um, but an opportunity came up in our enforcement division. Uh, I went for that role and got it and then kind of didn't look back and worked on from there, really. Um, so I was roadside as a traffic examiner for a good few years. Um, and I was dealing with something new that came into us called Bone, which was bus operator account management. And it was all to do making sure that services were serving their communities and running as they should be. And there was some investigation into the money that's claimed, all this kind of thing. Um, and actually quite enjoyed it without sounding too much like a bus spotter, actually quite enjoyed it. Um, and the position came up to um, actually run that nationally and oversee that. And I went for that role and I got it um, nice. and turned that scheme around. Um, I was quite proud of what I did there um, and became quite highly regarded uh, with it. And then this opportunity came up within earn recognition, created a whole new role for this new scheme called the National Account Manager for the Own Recognition Scheme. Um, and I went for that and I got that. And that's been about three and a half years ago. So that's kind of my career up to date, really. Um, yeah, been with them for a while. Yeah, I'll say you're, 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 okay, you, you bleed DVSA, I guess, then. You know? It's like, 
So I, I can definitely resonate with that sort of six month stop the gap. I, I did that after uni. I went into, I mean, I, I, I was meant to do a six week placement um, in childcare of all things um, as a, as a childminder just to help out um, someone. Two years later, I was there full time. Still, I was like, no, I need to draw a line here. I need to leave. I need to move on to to passage new, which is my plan. Um, so yeah, I can under, I can definitely resonate with that. Um, just so I wanted to ask before we kind of kind of carry on. Um, when did earn recognition actually start? Right. So it has its five year anniversary coming up in April of this year. Okay. April the twentieth. Um, but that's when the pilot started. So it's been running kind of business as usual for roughly about four years now. So you were brought in. The reason I ask is you were brought in kind of pretty early doors to sort of like what what I mean what 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 was the point of bringing you in? Like what what was their motivation for bringing in yourself into the role? So I think the point is um, probably to. I don't want to say modernise, that's probably the wrong wording, but actually earn recognition as a scheme has always been really strong. Always been really strong. For our listeners, there was about a 25-minute hiatus in between the question and the answer that you're now going to give. And the question was, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll be honest, th this happens. Um, so we'll, 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 we'll have some music in between. But also, yeah, I, I think the question I asked was, why... Um, DBSA uh, earn recognition is five years old this April. Um, and you said that you were brought in kind of three and a half years ago. It was like, I was mostly asking what was your role? What, why were you brought in? What, what have you been brought in to try and try and achieve? Yeah. So I think when earn recognition, when it was first created, you know, it's all around safety and compliance and that speaks for itself. But actually, um, I don't think we should all, always assume that people understand it or know what it is, um, or understand why it's beneficial to them as a business or as an operator or an individual or a contract holder. So they created my role really to develop the scheme because they don't, you know, don't want it to be stagnant. It should always be growing. It should always be developing, but also engaging with industry a little bit more, you know, earn recognition as a concept is completely different from anything that DVSA have done before. Um, you know, yeah. I, we've been seen as like the scary bloke from the ministry a little bit. Um, whereas own recognition is always a partnership. Um, yeah. So but basically it is, it's, it's, it's speaking to industry, getting them to understand what own recognition is, making sure that I'm approachable and available to speak to industry so that we can answer those questions and really to just get rid of any of those myths that are out there. But like I said, to continue to develop the scheme as well, Alan, you know, my role very much is looking into every element of developing own recognition. And what I mean by that is making sure, yes, it's the best when it comes to safety and compliance, the standards are the best in industry, but also I understand these people are running businesses. So if I can make it as commercially viable for yeah. them as possible and gives them that advantage, why would I not? You know, when we look at contracts and things like that, why would you not want to award contract to the safest and most compliant operators out there? You know, when, yeah. we, when our roadside teams out there in enforcement stop vehicles that are seriously and serially non-compliant, you know, I'm talking vehicles that the brakes aren't working on them. You know, they're dangerously overweight. They've got insecure loads. Their drivers have fallen asleep at the wheel. They haven't just gone out there because they fancied a jolly. Someone's given them a contract. Someone's yeah. paid them to deliver a service at the end of the day. And yeah. for me, that just feels wrong. It's kind of, you know, we've all got, we've all got a responsibility to really understand who are we putting into our supply chain? Who are we awarding these contracts to? Who are we using for services? But also us as an operator, you know, what are we doing? Are we being the best at what we do? Are we trying to be the most compliant? That won't be for everyone. Don't get me wrong. Like earn recognition is going to be for everyone. 
But ultimately, I think most people in life want to get things right if they can. Yeah. I think it's... Um, yeah, I think I think it's important to think that you want to do things right, but you also want to be safe. And it's it's not about ticking a compliance box. It's about actually kind of making sure you get your, your drivers home kind of in one piece, um, but also not, not being a danger to other road users. I think I, I don't think there's many people that would actually say they want to be a danger to other road users. Um, so it's, yeah. Um, so I guess we've kind of been like, you obviously we, I, I wanted you on the pod to talk about, um, earned recognition as, as a scheme. Um, and we kind of started kind of discussing it, but I, I guess if I was to kind of go, what's, what's the elevator pitch? What's the, what's the spiel that you give to people when you go, what is earned recognition? Uh, this is the floor to kind of explain <laughs> to our listeners that, that might not, might've heard of it, might've seen the words written down, but don't really know what it is. I'll try not to go with spill then, Alan. I'll try to give a good overview. There we go. There you go. <laughs> okay. Really, you know, in a nutshell, um, own recognition came about because we were asked, and when I say we, I mean Department for Transport and DBSA were asked, what does good look like? Um, yes, you've got your operator license obligations, but for operators that want to achieve that, but also maybe go a little bit further um, or also get recognised as doing that, that extra or trying to get it right. Um, there's loads of schemes out there, but actually, what are we saying as the regulator of transport in GB? What are we saying that looks like? And that's where our recognition kind of began, really. So it's basically a free to join scheme for operators that have a proven track record of getting it right. Um, a good track record of compliance. What they do, they share some information with us through KPIs every four weeks, all based around the operator license. Um, those KPIs, so not asking you to do anything extra. Basically, they are ensuring that they're not sending tired drivers out there on the roads, that they understand the working time directive rules, um, that their vehicles are in MOT, that the walk round checks are done. When they find an issue on those walk round checks, it's dealt with appropriately. Um, and as a result of that, um, we can kind of leave them alone. And what I mean by that is, is not that we turn a blind eye. What I mean by that is that we deal with them in a different way. They've got a trusted relationship with us because they've earned the right to be recognised by DBSA and the central department. Um, so they send those KPIs. They have an audit at the point of application. Um, so from that, we know that they're compliant, but also they're staying compliant. So our roadside teams out there on the road network um, and also our enforcement back office team, so colleagues in things like the remote enforcement office, uh, strategic traffic management office, who send out like desk-based assessments or ask for data or information from operators. And also those roadside teams, like I say, that pull vehicles in at the roadside, they don't need to target those operators in own recognition because, like I say, we know what they're up to. Not in a big brother way, but just making sure that they are where they need to be. So we don't have direct access to an operator's information. So anyone in own recognition, I don't have access to their system, nor in my team does. We only see what they report to us. And all that they report to us is a brief overview of what's gone on against those set of KPIs in that four-week period. So I don't know that, you know, Dave went over his hours last Tuesday in a particular vehicle. It doesn't go down to that level. It's just a case of in this particular period, either there's been an issue or there's not been an issue, basically. Yeah. And if there is an issue, it's not the end of the world because what own recognition gives us is an overview of the whole operation. And what I mean by that, Alan, is when, when you get pulled at the roadside by an examiner, they can only see that one vehicle, that one driver. They've got that one set of driver's hours records to look at. They've got that one vehicle to inspect from a mechanical side. 
But what earned recognition gives us is a full overview of the whole operation because the whole yeah. operating licenses, all of them have to come in that fit under that license and yeah. the vehicles, we get an overview. So therefore we can mitigate the risk and see actually, is there a culture of non-compliance here or actually yeah. wasn't just that one off? You know, because no one's perfect. You're dealing with vehicles, you're dealing with drivers at the end of the day, you're dealing with supply chain, outside suppliers, et cetera, et cetera. Things are going to go wrong. I'm not saying earn recognition operators are perfect. What I'm saying is that they're showing the initiative to try and get it right. Yeah. They, they're concerned about road safety and compliance, and they want to continue to be the best at what they can do. So my team are really there to help and support them, to keep them in that compliance space, not to play Big Brother with them. Yeah, I think that's something that, I mean, we... We looked at um, recognition a few years ago um, from a software supplier side. Um, mm. It never really, being honest, back back at that point, it was um, we didn't think it was big enough to warrant going down that route. Um, mm. And it, it, we looked at this like three, three or four years ago, so it was very early doors, mm. um, and. But I, obviously, I looked at this from a software supplier side. Obviously, getting an approved and accredited software supplier is mm. like you've got to go down that route, just as like operators do to get part of that. But the one thing I do remember is like, yeah, it's very anonymized. It's very yes or no. Like you can't see that level of data. That I think some operators worry about that sort of Big Brother esque kind of view yeah. on data and stuff. And I, I, from my my point of view as a software developer, I can see that is very much not the case. You can't see that. It's very much like. KPIs, yes, no, that's kind of it. Um, but I think it, it's, it's like anything with data, it's data's there to help inform decisions. Um, and as I think what you said there was like, it helps roadside teams make an informed decision. If someone gets pulled over, you're not basing it on one, one data point, you're basing it on several. And I think that can only lead to better outcomes. Absolutely, absolutely. It's about that, it's just keeping the standard up. Um, you know, the feedback that I get from the operators within our recognition is those KPIs, once they've got their head around them, absolutely focuses them as a business um, yeah. and they can understand where issues are or potential issues are before they become a bigger problem. You know, it's far easier to have a conversation with your driver in either your yard or in your office to explain, look, you're getting really close to your driver's hours here, or, you know, you haven't considered the working time directive here or whatever it may be, or, you know, you're rushing that walk around check. Yeah. rather than go out and visit them at the roadside because they've had an accident yeah. when actually all it could have taken was someone speaking to them and pointing that out. Um, yeah. you know, it does happen, unfortunately. But luckily, like I say, those KPIs really hone in on a business. Um, you know, I've been to many a public inquiry in my career. Um, and the question of, I don't want to say the question of death, that sounds really bad, but the question that I see traffic commissioners ask an operator, um, what's gone on here? what's happened here. And I've seen operators many times say, give the same answer. I'm not sure, or I don't know what's happened there. Yeah. It's your operator license, it's your business. If you don't know what's happened there, who is meant to know what's gone on there? Yeah. That, that happens, unfortunately. They focus on one part of the business and not the other part, or they rely on someone else to, to be looking after it, for example. But actually the KPIs give you a good overview of the mechanical side of your operation and also your driver's side of yeah. the so therefore you know it just closes those gaps where things can go wrong at the end of the day yeah i think that that's something that it, it's washing one's hands and thinking oh it's someone else's responsibility especially with small operators when you have an external tm um yeah. or, or even, even if you've got an internal tm full-time tm i think it's 
it's very easy. And it's something that I've, I mean, not from a legal point of view, but something I've been guilty of is you hire someone to do a job and you go, okay, it's being done fine. I don't really care anymore. Like it's yeah. being done, but actually that's not the case. And um, ignoring even like, like the legal compliance side of things, I think it's, um, you expect something's being done and it's not being done. And then you kind of get annoyed. It's not being done. It's like, well, actually it's my business. So I should really kind of take responsibility and I can't, you have to be involved in everything. Um, so yeah, I, I think at the point you made about kind of like people focus on other parts of the business, I think, I mean, I don't think I need to kind of persuade many people, but I think it is something to worth stating that compliance, having a safe and compliant organization does lead to a more commercially viable one as well. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. It's not an irritating thing to deal with. It's something that should be integral to the business because it has such an impact. It's, it's one of those things, if you try and get it right and you take road safety and compliance seriously, yes, there's investment there, but long term, it's going to work out so much better for you. Yeah. Because if you're otherwise, you're going to be going out to vehicles that are broken down. You know, if you get a wheel loss or anything like that, the legal side around it as well, yeah. you know, these things happen. So if you cut corners, it's going to catch up with you eventually. It's going to catch up with you in a really bad way. And ultimately, yeah. you've got to ask yourself as an operator, could your business survive without an operator license? Because that's always, if you choose not to follow compliance and road safety, there's a very big chance that you will end up in front of the traffic commissioner. And one of the things that can happen is they revoke your operator license. Yeah. As simple as that. You know, if you're not following your obligations, they've got every right to review it. Um, you know, I see it, unfortunately, you know, in contractors and things like that, people that sublet sub their contracts and so forth. Um, and it's kind of like, well, what checks have you done on them? Well, I've not done any checks. Well, so you're quite happy that that vehicle's unsafe, potentially? Yeah. Well, well, it's not my vehicle. It's who I subcontracted to. No, we've all got an obligation. Because if that vehicle goes into a town centre or something like that, has no brakes and kills someone, you've given them that contract. It goes back to my earlier point. Those vehicles mm. aren't on the road because they feel like going for a drive. They're on the road because someone gave them a contract. Someone's paid yeah. them to the service. Yeah. You know, so just, and, and you do see it. I do see that excuse quite a lot. Well, it's not our vehicle. It's who I subcontracted it to. Well, did you do the right checks? Did you make sure those vehicles were safe before you gave them work to go out on our roads and be in our communities? Yeah, I think, and I mean, they're, from a contractual point of view, they're representing your business as well. It's like, like you say, now, so, uh, uh, when, when they when they turn up a site to do delivery, it's like they're to the customer, they are you. Yeah, completely. So, like, e even uh, even kind of going around the safety and compliance side of things, like, the, if they're not doing that, what else are they not doing? I think that's the thing is you tend to find people that are actively, willfully cutting corners and not taking mm. it seriously. It's like, what else are they not doing? Yeah, I mean, completely. You know, we see it all the time at, at roadside. I'm sure you appreciate uh, if anyone's been on any of my webinars, you know, I, I always give a couple of pictures of what non-compliance look like and yeah. I make sure I update it regularly because there's plenty of content to update, Alan. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, there was one at, we had one at Dover the other week where uh, literally there was no tyre or wheel on this vehicle. They'd use ratchet straps to hold the axle up and that just been on a motorway. It's not, it's not around the corner journey, which obviously you should never be doing anyway. Anyway, but, but going on a motorway and into a major port, like one of the busiest ports in the UK, um, probably not a great idea. Definitely not a great idea. Yeah. That shouldn't be done. And these things happen all the time on our road. But again, that vehicle would have been going somewhere, um, for yeah. a business reason, which means someone paying that vehicle. So you are basically giving money to non-compliance. You're giving the, you're allowing vehicles to be in our road that yeah. 
aren't taking compliance seriously. Um, and that's that's not good for anyone. That's not good for our communities. That's not good for, you know, the reputation of our industry either. Um, you know, drivers, yeah. all these kind of things, these all have a knock-on effect. You know, you see unsafe, unsafe vehicles, you know, that goes to your working conditions. I always view it. Someone's cab is their office at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, what kind of message are we sending out to drivers that we want to attract to our industry? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a massive problem, obviously, people, and we've got people leaving the industry, we've got kind of an aging population to a certain extent, not just in the UK generally, but also within transport, you do see that we are struggling to recruit people into it. And it's difficult to see it as a worthwhile career choice when you see kind of the, some of the conditions they might have to put up with. So yeah, no, I think it's really important to get that right, actually. Absolutely. Just a quick interruption to the show quickly. I just want to let you guys know of a brand new product that I am super proud that we've launched over the last couple of months. The Transport Managers Collective, or TMC for short, is a digital community of TMs to share best practice and ultimately improve safety and compliance on our roads. Not only that, it's been designed to foster close, meaningful connections with other like-minded individuals to help improve your own mental health and reduce that sense of isolation that many TMs face in their professional roles. As I said, I'm super proud of this community. So do go check it out by going to www.tmcollective.co.uk and use the code free trial to get your first month free. Anyway, that's enough for me. Now back to, well, me. So my next kind of question, which I think might, might potentially open it in a worms, but we'll see how it goes is, um, obviously I, I know that we've spoken about this kind of off air, my background in terms of what we do at hub and stuff is force force compliance and force consultancy. Um, and obviously in, in my travels, I come across mission zero. How, how do they differ? What, I mean, cause to, to the outside world, to, 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 to Joe, well, say Joe public operator, Joe public, they see these kind of letters, these, these, and they're all voluntary. And mm. that I think is the thing that a lot of people struggle with is it's none of this is legally required to do any of this stuff. Yeah. Why? Not why, not why would you choose one or the other? What, how does um, recognition differ from, say, Mission Zero and Fours? Yeah, no, let me just start off by saying, Alan, you know, anything that encourages road safety um, is always going to be a positive for our industry. Um, in terms of um, recognition, I think probably if you want me to go through kind of the unique selling points, as it were. Go for it. Um, you know, ultimately, we are the only government scheme of our kind. So it's the only government-backed scheme. Um, it's the only scheme that is recognized and endorsed by the traffic commissioners so we're a free to join scheme there's no sign up fees or no membership fees to our recognition um the kpis make it quite unique as well um where we have the initial audit when you first sign up and then an audit every two years the kpis ensure that we know that those vehicles those drivers and those operators are continuing to be compliant um, so there's some new, unique um, aspects there. Uh, what we also went for, so our audit standards are definitely the highest in industry, you know, and I don't say that lightly. That is feedback that I've had from operators that are in multiple schemes. That's feedback I've had from auditors that carry out conduct audits for various bodies. Um, it is certainly a very high level of audit standard. So, and we're very proud of that. You know, that was a lot of work that went in. So we considered everything within your operator license regulations. We also made sure that we uh, covered aspects of the health and safety executive, guide to maintaining roadworthiness, professional driver standards, et cetera. So we made sure we've got 
uh, an audit standard that covers all, all those aspects. But also what was important for us was not to put things in place for the sake of putting them in place. And what I mean by that is um, recognition is all about road safety and compliance, obviously. But like I said, I need to make sure that there's commercially viable aspects as well to operators because I'm a big believer that the operators that should be awarded these contracts are the safest and most compliant on our roads. That generates yeah. road safety throughout you know that that's to me i think a really important and key message um so yeah for, we went with the approach of modules and the reason that we went with modules rather than just making it part of the general standard is every business is different so we've got hgv operators and psv operators within um, recognition so for me a construction vehicle going into central london is going to have different requirements than a psv in rural scotland for example so why would i force uh, an operator in rural Scotland with a PSB to have the same kind of camera equipment as a construction vehicle going into yeah. London. I wouldn't. It doesn't add or take away from road safety. They are just different environments and different yeah. locations. I think that's something that um, I've uh, noticed is um, talking to customers on the four scheme. Um, I get a lot of grumbles and, and gripes around like, well, I'm not based in London, so why do I need these things? It's like, it's kind of hard to argue because I'm like, well, you need it. The standard is the standard. You, you like it or lump it, you've got to go with it. Mm. So I think I think being sympathetic to kind of regional differences and kind of types of types of operators, is, I think, is key to letting this work, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, that for me, that was a really important uh, part of it. So we, we've continued to develop multiple modules that operators can pick and choose they don't have to do any they can do all of them if they like uh, but they're specific to specific geographical locations and specific contracts so we've got a hs2 module which yep. obviously covers all of the hs2 contracts so if you want to go for that you apply the hs2 module we've got a tfl module so a tfl contractual regulation module that covers all tfl contracts all four silver contracts all clocks contracts all direct vision standard contracts all work related road risk contracts and also the safer lorry scheme contracts are all covered in that so again if you want to go for that you can add that on we've got the london power tunnel project module or lpt2 so that's um europe's largest electrical tunnel build so if you wanted to go for that you can but then also for the PSV side, we've got a module with the Guild of British Coach Operators. So the Guild have been around for a number of years. They're very much associated with high levels of customer service and customer journeys. So really nice for us to be able to align with them. Um, mm -hmm. Because obviously we've got kind of the, the safety and the compliance aspect completely covered. So a customer can go for, you know, an operator that sits within that and know they're going to get a full service. Previously, yeah. the Guild... You can only be a member of the guild if you were nominated by an existing member. But now through earned recognition, um, you can apply to be a guild member. So just opened it up a little bit more. Oh, well. You know, so a, a nice little add on there. But we'll continue to build modules. There's lots going on in the background. We're due to launch more modules in the coming months. Um, for me, it's really important that those operators in earned recognition, who I believe are the safest and most compliant on our roads, have the seat at the table, have the opportunity for going for all these contracts. Because as a contractor... Why would you not want the safest and most reliable vehicles and drivers and operators associated with your product uh, and project, sorry, and on your roads? Why would yeah. you not? You no, know? I mean, I guess, I guess arguments from those individuals are it costs more. But I think if you're running a, a tight ship and you're trying to run a, a legit business, I think I'm, I mean, I'm, I noticed that you, you pay for quality. Yeah. 
it's quite simple. Like if you, if you want to have someone representing your business, that is, that, that is, is a good representation of your business. Well, you're going to go for the ones that are going to cost a bit more, but then, you know, it's, it's the right one. It, sometimes, like I said, Alan, sometimes it can be a false economy because if that yeah. vehicle goes and has an accident on your site, um, a, there's going to be huge legal costs around that, you know, yeah. recognitional risk, et cetera, et cetera. The costs are absolutely, you know, just going out of control. It's that idea of actually when you get insurance on your car and on your house, you have it as a just in case, don't you? You yeah. don't try and pay it out after. Um, you know, it's that safety net, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, you kind of said they've got all these different modules and, and it kind of applies to lots of different types of operator and do- lots of different types of requirements. Hmm. Does it, does earn recognition work for this? Like it, it, it's always been my understanding. Like, so some of the misconceptions I've seen around is it's only open to, to big operators that can really afford a afford it. I obviously it's free. So that that's obviously innate, like removes that, that kind of um, barrier, but the, um, the time commitment to, to meet it and the um, the level, how difficult it is to, because the problem I find sometimes with audits is, or it's, it's a bit like Ofsted coming in when you're at school or doing exams. It's like, it's almost more stressful. Like, you know, you're operating to a good standard, but then an audit makes it more stressful because it's like on the day you've got to do all this, that and the other. And I know a lot of our, our customers are very small, they're owner operators and mm. they find four stressful, which is, I mean, not gonna lie, it's why we have a business. <laughs> they find yeah. it stressful. So they hire a consultant, hire us to, to go in and actually implement the things they should be doing. Um, and because they, 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 they're hardworking, they're not trying to be kind of, uh, non-compliant or, or not meeting the standard. It's just, they don't know how to get ready for an audit to prove they're doing the right thing. Does this make it really only accessible to big operators that have got the budget and got the time to put someone in place to actually get ready for an audit and get the, get the operator ready? Or is it can small operators? I know know technically they can, but is, is it geared towards being suitable for small operators? Absolutely, Alan. We've got every excuse me. We've got every shape, size operator you can imagine. We've got you know sole traders with one vehicle, right down to huge operators and everything in between. And there's a good spread. It's not predominantly you know huge operators or anything like that. I think that's a misconception. Yeah, heard. Um, the smaller operators get a lot of benefit from it. To be honest with you, they enjoy having the earn recognition team at the end of the phone um, because there is you know, changes to legislation or guidance and trying to keep up with that, run a business and, you know, have a life (laughs) can be difficult. So actually it's nice that they have a number that they can call and they can just say, can I do this or can't I do that? Um, And actually get an answer straight away. So no, in terms of the audit standards, we've kept it as open as we possibly can. And what I mean by that is our audit standards are available on gov.uk. They're completely open there's no kind of cloak and dagger or anything like that on there they are listed like i say on gov.uk and what was really important for us was that we broke it down into an easy to follow guide so they're broken into individual sections so very much they can be used as a blueprint for your business on what compliance and road safety looks like so yes there is a fair amount to them i'm not going to lie um but equally like i said they're built around your operator license obligations i think so that's I think that's the point is things like, I mean, I, I know Fours intimately because of our business, Mission Zero, I know a lot less about, but 
it's not all around operational compliance. And so it, uh, if you, if you, if, if we make the basic kind of assumption that everyone that is going for something like this is at least legally compliant, fours is quite complicated because there's lots of things that are not rate like part of that. And so you might not see it as important because it may or may not be based on your requirements uh, as, as a business, but obviously with, with that recognition, it's like, well, the, the, the basis of being legally compliant is it makes up, I'm guessing quite a big chunk of it. Yeah, it does. It, you know, it's, it's with the audit, it, it's really most operators that you speak to should either be self-auditing or they'll audit every couple of years or something like that. So actually, if you find, you know, if you find yourself in front of the traffic commission, a chance are they're going to ask you to have an audit conducted. Um, so there is kind of that understanding that audit should be going on, whether or not that's you get an external auditor in or whether or not you're self-auditing, because ultimately things get missed otherwise. Yeah. Um, and like I said earlier, it's so much easier to deal with things in advance when they're smaller issues than when they become a larger problem and you're dealing with a vehicle, you know, at yeah. the side of the road because it's been involved in an accident. Or yeah. Something. Prevention is always better than cure. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely yeah. So what is it? Let's say I'm a... Well, I, I'm gonna. I've got the. I've got another question. I'll see in a second. But let's say I, I'm a, I'm an operator, um, and I want to go for uh, own recognition. What's the sort of process? How do I how do I start? So first thing is everything's listed on our website, gov.uk. So if you literally go on gov.uk, type in DVSA own recognition, all our scheme guides, all of our audit standards, all of our module requirements are all listed there. My team are also really. Uh, helpful they're available so we've got a direct mailbox which is dvsaer at dvsa.gov.uk and they'll see yeah yeah that's exactly what it says on the yep. tier <laughs> <laughs> and they'll talk you through the process as well you know this is very much uh, a partnership um, recognition with operators so all the information's there our applications there and our application criteria is there as well. So as an operator, you can just look through and see whether or not you meet the criteria or whether or not there's anything you think you need to work on. If you're not sure, again, just drop an email to my team. They'll set up a call or a meeting, whatever works for you, and they'll go through it and, and offer you some guidance and help if there's certain aspects that you think you need to work on. Application goes in. My team will contact you pretty much straight away within a day or two. Um, ask you for a few bits, data, things like that to make sure that you do meet the grade. You book in an audit. Um, the audit is carried out by independent audit providers. So we have got a list of authorised audit providers or AAP. They're listed on gov.uk. Um, so you can pick which one works for you. You can negotiate that price. You know, you can shop around. I would always encourage you to shop around. Um, and they have that audit carried out. Then um, you become an earned recognition member. It's not a long process. It's not overly complicated. The reason that we went with having independent audit providers, they've all got to meet an ISO accreditation, by the way, and yeah. have the correct qualifications. So they are, again, to a really high standard. And they are accredited by a team within DVSA that look after all the CPC training, et cetera. So um, they checked through thoroughly before they can uh, carry out audits for us. Is For me, a few reasons why we went down that route. Um, firstly, earn recognition has a knock-on effect, a positive knock-on effect, which is to free up resource, as I spoke about yeah. earlier, not being targeted at the roadside, etc. If my team were to go out or if DVSA was to go out and start doing lots of audits, doesn't free up our resource, does it, actually? Yeah. It takes up more of our time. Yeah. Equally, we're a government body, so we're not allowed to make a profit, which would mean at most we can only charge for audits just to cover our cost. 
no profit made. So we would be the cheapest audits around, getting everyone to pay for their audits. Um, exactly. That means that we put quite a lot of auditors potentially out of business, which is not something that we want to do. We want to grow business. We want to encourage this industry to grow. Yeah. And also for me, it's just nice to have an extra layer of independence. So we don't want it all to be in-house and just DBSA. Yes, this is a DBSA scheme. Of course it is. But actually having the external IT suppliers and having the external audit providers also saying these are the best at what they do when it comes to an operator is yeah. nice for that extra level of independence, I think, Alan. So for me, yeah. that's where we've gone with that kind of approach. But it's not a difficult process at all. I speak to operators, you know, on a daily basis and help them in the journey to get into earn recognition. It's not as complicated, I think, as people think. I think as soon as they mm. do something different, they assume it's going to be complicated. Yeah. But own recognition is quite simplistic, and it needs to be because what I don't want to do is take operators, transport managers, compliance managers, drivers away from their day job, concentrating yeah. on this, because if they do that, they're not concentrating on the road safety and compliance aspect. Which is kind of the point. <laughs> becomes completely counterproductive. Yeah, so yeah. It's designed to be not time-consuming, but also giving you a good support system through the own recognition team who are really there to help our operators, you know, feedback we get every single time we ask our operators why why did you go down the own recognition route but what's been good for you you know what's your biggest benefit out of it having that team at the end of the phone has always scored number one on all the feedback oh, really okay yeah which was surprising i always thought especially when we asked them just after covid and we gave them a year as extension on mot's um i thought <laughs> saving them a good few thousand pounds may uh maybe but it wasn't it didn't no. take over so it shows the quality of service my team give to the operator. Yeah, I think I think a lot of a lot of transport professionals generally, I think, feel quite isolated um, yeah. and don't really know where to turn to for advice. Um, I mean, I, I know my experience working with external transport managers. It's you're kind of thrown out into the cold and like you've got to fend for yourself and work this stuff out. So having kind of a direct line to to a DVSA is 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 not not to be sniffed at. I don't think. Absolutely. And, you know, and we're also there to help them and champion them. Um, you know, if they've got issues or something that they've come across and they just want a bit of clarification or someone to pick up the baton for them. You know, if they've got an issue with an application that's gone in or something like that elsewhere in DBSO or elsewhere in DFT, my team will, you know, deal with that and pick it up for them so that they can concentrate on their business. Um, I, get, you know, I, get, I guess from your point of view, you want, you want these businesses that, that are um, uh, uh, like on the scheme to succeed because they're really? operating to a higher standard. So you'll do whatever you can as part of your team to actually raise them up, not just from a safety and compliance point of view, but from a business point of view as well, because that's obviously beneficial to the scheme, obviously as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's say I'm a brand new operator and, and this is a bit of a loaded question because I know that you did a webinar yesterday. I don't know when this episode will go out, but yeah. when we recorded, you recorded, you did a webinar yesterday and Sammy, one of our other guests I saw commented and say, why can't a brand new operator kind of get onto the scheme straight away? Um, what is the reason for that? So there's a couple of reasons, really. So um, recognition was designed around operators that have been operating for a minimum of two years with a good compliance history because they are just that, Alan, they've earned the right to be recognised yeah. by DBSAs as, a, as you know, an exemplar operator. And if you're brand new, you just haven't done the time to be able to prove that. But having said that, we are always looking to develop and evolve. You know, our audit standards always develop and evolve. So I did say to Sammy specifically on that, um, you know, 
to, to get in contact with me and I, we, we can talk out some ideas. So we're always open to suggestions as well. You know, if there are operators that think, you know, I'm a new operator, but actually I'm getting it right. Um, you know, there's nothing to stop us expanding or looking in different directions. I don't know what that would look like, yeah. but we're certainly open to dialogue. You know, I, I'm, I'm never a believer in we've got all the answers straight away and yeah. things evolve and change. I think that's when you fall into the line of arrogance. Yeah. And we try not to do that within our recognition. You know, we take a lot of information and insight from our members and why would we not? So um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's really important that we listen to industry, yeah. of what's going on in industry and what people want from us as a government agency at the end of the day. I think that's really important. Because you are also there to serve as well. Yeah, I am. I am. Like that, that is uh, as, as a government agency, you're there to serve the industry you support. So I think it's really? important that it's, it's a, it's a two way street. Um, yeah. it's quite refreshing to, I must say, I've done a few kind of had a few conversations around kind of various like podcast guests in, in the prep for the, the last kind of few episodes that I've recorded. And I kind of, I've, I quite happily talk about other people on, on other podcasts and stuff. And when your name comes up, it's always really positive in the sense that you actually do listen to people. You do take on board this stuff. You don't necessarily action everything because it's not necessarily within your power and it's not maybe the right direction it's going to go in, but you do always collect that information. And I think that's really important. It's something that we care deeply as, as a commercial organization, as we are like personally, I think the be the only person that you should ever listen to is you, the customer because yeah. they're the ones going to give you the most raw feedback and going to be the most useful feedback but completely alan you know um the tfl module came about because we were championed by our operators that they wanted alternative um you know options when it came to contracts and things like that so yeah. that was something that i really championed with with tfl um and and it's paid off you know and that came on the back of what our members really wanted so whenever i work on new modules or if i work on any kind of uh, benefits to the scheme the, th the first people i listen to is of course our members um, yeah. and why would i not probably have to listen to a minister as well now and again but um <laughs> but really the first thought of all is our operators and yeah. see what's viable of course you know i, I think i think that's that's actually a really understated question is is whether it's viable or not it's like it's got to be commercially viable for these businesses to, to implement anything like this because if it's not it becomes a hassle and if one thing becomes a hassle then the whole thing becomes a hassle and then it yeah. devalues the scheme entirely. Um, yeah. I think that's really important. So um, I think I think um, you kind of alluded to the fact that it is a completely free scheme. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there are costs associated with it. You've got to pay for an audit, which I'm guessing you don't set the rates, but that is a thing that's got to be taken into consideration. Do operators yeah. need to use an approved software supplier? So yes and no. So our KPIs, like I said, are, are split into two sections. So you've got the driver side, which is your tachograph, driver's hours, working time directive. Then you've got the vehicle side, which is your MOT, maintenance, water hour checks. So for the driver's hours side, um, yes, they will need to use one of our approved IT system suppliers um, and they relay that information digitally. For maintenance, you can have a mixed bag. So basically, yes, you can have fully digital from one of our approved suppliers. But also you can have manual in-house systems um, that we would 
check over and make sure they're doing what they should be doing. We also have some digital online forms where you can upload information. Again, we would go through that process and approve it with said operator. Um, or we can approve your own in-house system. So a lot of operators for maintenance will have, say, a few different channels that come in-house because they've got different maintenance suppliers, different makes and models of vehicles, etc. Yeah. So they'll have a very different bespoke system that they've created that works for their business. So we um, we would approve that if it meets the criteria or they need to make a couple of little tweaks to what it is. So, yeah, you would need to have that in place. But generally, most operators that I speak to, especially for tachographs, they've got... Already do. Yeah, it, it was more... It was more. I obviously, you, 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 it's very difficult to do anything around kind of tachos without a system. So that's yeah. that's fair. But I think with the maintenance, you, we do see... I mean, Hub does a lot of this, and that was kind of the point of the question is... We've got a lot of supply, people that use use Hub that mm. would probably want to go for this. So maybe it's something we need to investigate. But it's like mm. if you don't use a, a maintenance system at all in terms of, mm. let's say you are actually whiteboard on the wall, yeah. folders. You know, I, I know a lot of operators are like, oh, but then it means I think I've got to use another system. I've got to spend more mm. money on another system. If it yeah. can be that it can be kind of like forms, online forms that can do it every four weeks, then I guess that removes some of that. I mean, to me, that's a false economy because that's harder than just having a system. But that's just my personal opinion. People work in different ways. And ultimately, whenever we bring in any change to our recognition or develop anything in our recognition, I've got to ask the question, does it make that operator safer? Does it make them more compliant? May make them more efficient, may make them more organized, but does it make them safer? And if yeah. any, if there's any doubt, I can't, I wouldn't force that onto anyone. Yeah. You know, originally we were going to go fully digital and we had a, you know, we had a date for that a couple of years ago, but we listened to our members. We listened to the industry. We see, we saw what, what had happened. You know, if you kind of think what the world looked like five years ago, quite a yeah. lot's happened in that yeah. short <laughs> Um, you know, I remember when Brexit was the biggest talking point to get yeah. COVID and everything else and lots of other things that have happened along the way. But, you know, the world's changed and we've reacted to that yeah. um, in a positive way by actually understanding what our users want, but also what's in the marketplace and realistically where, you know, digitization of maintenance is. Um, and so now we've offered our members and people that want to sign up to our recognition as many options as we possibly can, yeah. but with the same outcome, the same outcome is making sure they're safe and efficient and that they've taken road safety seriously. And we can do that. And we do that very well. So, um, yeah, I'm really pleased that we've, like I said, continue to evolve well and, but listen to the marketplace, listen to the industry and listen to our members. Yeah. I think mean, I mean, that's key. So what, what does the future hold for, well, for own recognition? Like what, what's the, what can you share about the future? What can I share? Uh, my crystal ball. Um, there'll be continuation of development with our recognition. And what I mean by that is there'll be more modules coming in, um, it's highly regarded in the industry. Um, I would say certainly the feedback that I get, um, most operators that I speak to that are in the scheme say, I just wish I did it sooner, to be honest with you, Phil. Um, we will continue to grow it. We'll look at earn recognition potentially um, as a brand as well. You know, what else is out there that earn recognition could come across? Mm. Um, you know, if you look at it, I want to use a safe compliant operator. I'm going to go with an earn recognition operator. What else may you want to use within our industry, which is safe compliant? or reliable, whatever it may be. And why should we not try and create something that makes that easy for the user um, yeah. to find that service, you know? Yeah, I think that the future, as we were saying, I think you've got to evolve with the times. You've got to keep moving forward and, and not stagnate. Um, 
I don't think I actually put this on on another podcast with another guest I was speaking to earlier, but I kind of was like trying to do my predictions around like where I see Thor's Mission Zero uh, recognition going. And I personally, although I'm I'm a big advocate for Thor's because I mean I made the business around it, so I've got to kind of sing that a little bit. I do think the th- the fact that it is a dbsa kind of approves it, it kind of it, it's a it's a government kind of organization that does it like it's it feels and also it has a, an actual impact on as an operator you don't get pulled over i think that's a massive impact uh compared to kind of the other schemes out there but i did think and this is my personal opinion i know i know i can have one i'm allowed to have one but i think the one thing that I think earn recognition needs to get right, which I think you're doing well is a listening to, to members, but B, although it's not a commercial business, it has to be treated as such. It has to become, com- it has to become attractive to people, obviously, which I know obviously it is with all the modules and the schemes and meeting things, but I think it has to be marketed. The go-to-market strategy is so important because like I came across this recognition three years ago, three or four years ago, and I kind of disregarded it because I looked at the scheme and went, it's not very big. I don't really see the point in being part of it. That's honestly, that's how I viewed it. Now, obviously, I feel that that's maybe I made a wrong decision back then <laughs> um, at disregarding it. Um, but I do think the future is really bright if the the strategy around getting this in front of users and being picked up by operators is got right i think that's my personal view i think in five years time if that's got right i think our recognition has got legs to be a really really big kind of like uh scheme that will kind of thrive and, and flourish but that's just my personal opinion i'm allowed to have that i think i'm allowed to have that so um what does the future hold for yourself then? Like, where, where do you see yourself going with this? Are you, are you still very much on the earn recognition journey or do you have other kind of things you want to pursue? Well, yeah, I mean, personally, earn recognition for me, like I'm sure you can, you can gather, Alan, I kind of live, breathe it, yeah. sleep it. Um, <laughs> I know that I am. But um, there's so much that I think earn recognition can do and continue to do really well. You know, I'm, I'm really passionate about it and yeah, I'm lucky I've got a great team behind me as well. Um, I like the fact that I can engage with industry and, you know, I'm, I'd like to think I'm, I'm getting quite known in industry now and they take back that we are actually listening to them. Yeah. And not the scary people from the ministry. And I've tried quite a lot over the last few years to try and change that narrative a little bit and see yeah. we are approachable and this is a partnership scheme. We're going to work with you. So I'm really excited just to kind of grow earn recognition more and, and see it absolutely thrive um, and i think it's got the potential to do that it's continuing to do that look it's it, in terms of numbers and things like yeah that yes that will grow is that my biggest thing that i want to work on no not really because what's really important to me is making sure that the standards are always at the highest they should be they should always be the industry leader when it comes to standards yeah we are that now and i want to continue that the second that i start chasing numbers naturally you will drop your game a little bit yeah. because you want to be the biggest or get as many in as you can as quickly as you can um that's probably not right that isn't right for us it's road safety and compliance it's yeah. hard that's always going to be key to earn recognition that the operators in that guarantee be the safest and most compliant and those that use own recognition operators are known that they're always using the safest and most compliant operators in their supply chain in the vehicles that are serving your community. You know, how nice is it to know my kids get on a school bus, it's an own recognition operator, someone's probably looked at the brakes today. 
Yeah, I think I think there's a there's a there's potentially thinking about it. There's a there's a piece around kind of public awareness, not just mm. operator awareness. Is mm. like operators are going to st- are starting to know what this is, and like I talk to people, and it comes up now um, in the same breath as fours. Um, so operators are aware, but I think it's a public thing because I, I, I think I was talking off there about me sitting down with the um, with the local bus um, coach company, and like he he gets quite irate because he'll lose out on contracts for local school runs because the other ones are 50 quid a run cheaper and it's like i'm i've got a standard to uphold because i'm running to a higher standard mm. not own recognition but like runs to his own like high standard it's like you're putting your as a, as a parent i mean a, a lot of a lot of these buses where we where we're based around um, mm. northwest london it's, it's based posh schools um mm. private schools and it's like you're putting your darling children on here and um you're not realizing that that vehicle is mr pmi it's it's not it's got you've got a tired driver or whatever as a as a parent you'd like to think oh the school's done its due diligence they've got they've got a, a supplier but actually schools haven't got a clue because they're not transport operators so i think there's a certain piece around kind of public awareness around something like this scheme as well i think that would be really helpful um completely, completely agree now and, and you've kind of hit the nail on the head there i see that so much i assume someone else is looking after it i yeah. assume that someone else to check that yeah I see that all the time um those conversations are taking place with local authorities and contract holders you know like i said at the start um my role before this role was looking after kind of bus compliance um i remember seeing a video sent to me from uh, a school child and they were on a bus and the floor of the bus actually fell out they could see the road and see the wheel if they leaned forward they would have been pulled under that bus that's someone's terrifying given, someone's given that a contract someone's yeah. allowed that bus to pick up those children and said yeah that's fine um and i'm sure like you said from a parent's point of view if they knew that was going on they'd be up in arms yeah. um so absolutely we are having those conversations um and making sure that people understand actually we've all got a duty when it comes to road safety we've all yeah. got a duty when it comes to safety of the passengers and also those goods and services equally hgv side you know if you lend if you give a contract to um an operator and they're even just illegally dumping your waste that's impacted someone's life they yeah. you know they put it on the local school playing field those kids can't play, you know, or they dump it on the local common and someone can't take their dog for a walk or it impacts people's lives. Yeah. These all have a knock-on effect outside of road safety as well. It's the society impact as well. You know, we should all be a little bit more socially conscious on that. 100%. The services we use and the operators that we employ in our supply chain at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. I think what well, I think my, my last point I want to make is um, this is only ever going to work if it doesn't become a for-profit scheme. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think I think that's something that you, I, I mean, we went off we went off on, on another another topic, but that's what you said a few minutes ago was um, that you don't want to chase numbers because if you start chasing numbers, you, your standards drop. And I think mm-hmm. if you start chasing numbers, it's usually because there's a commercially viable reason for it, or like a, there's, a, there's a profit making reason for it. And obviously, as you say, I think we don't want to don't want to encourage that. So I think it's staying as a as a uh, kind of non profit. Uh, scheme is, I think, is key and crucial. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it's funded through the operator license scheme anyway, so it's that's how it's funded. So the funding does not need to okay. come from our members. Um, yeah, it's part of the operator license scheme. So um, no, it's not. You know, we're never going to be 
commission based or anything like that. They don't pay me any commission, unfortunately, Alan. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, you, you, you do know, it for the love. I do it for the love. Yeah, I won't set up a GoFundMe page just yet. It's fine. But, uh, <laughs> okay. You know, it, that's how it should be. It should actually be. This is comes from DBSA. It comes from Department for Transport. This is about setting a standard within our industry so that safety and compliance is taken seriously and a really easy how to guide to how to be in that good space. That's by becoming an own recognition operator and using own recognition operators within your supply chain and within your services. I think that's a perfect place to end. I think that's, that's come full circle. So yeah, I just want to say thank you, Phil, for joining me on, on the pod. Um, it's nice to finally get it in and booked in and sorted. Um, and I've, I've, I've been looking forward to this one all week. I'm not going to lie. And equal measures of nerves and kind of excitement. I was like, I want to make sure I do this justice because I think it's a subject that is actually increase like road safety is quite close to my heart and talking to someone at the, at the like the horse's mouth as it were about the scheme was um really exciting for me so thank you very much for joining me um and yeah thank you to our listeners for for kind of sticking with us and listening on and i guess if any of our listeners are interested in finding out more i'm guessing phil they can um drop that email address and email or kind of what what's the best way of kind of getting in touch with with the team to, to find yeah. out more yeah, they can do. So our direct email is dvsaer, all one word, at dvsa.gov.uk. And they can find all the information about the scheme on gov.uk. Just search DVSA Earn Recognition. Cool. I'll put all that stuff in the in the show notes. I'll, I'll say I, one of the, Elizabeth will make sure this all makes sense when we all package it up so we can go there so people can actually uh, click it without having to type it in. So, yeah. Once again, just thanks, Phil, for joining me. And, um, yeah, I look forward to what the future holds for um, recognition over the coming years. Brilliant. Thanks very much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank Cheers, you. Phil. Thank you. Thank you to Phil for joining me this week. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Morning Cuppa podcast. Again, if you like this week's episode, be sure to go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. That will help us get in front of even more trans professionals just like you. As always, I love chatting to other trans professionals, so go ahead and find me on LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, links will be below, I'm sure. That's all from me. Once again, thanks for listening to the show. I've been Alan, and this has been the Morning Cover Podcast. Podcast.